Oh, I was going to grab that hymn, that uh, hymn book from Dan. I thought we should uh, explain what that actually is to a few of you. That what we used to sing out of when we were growing up in church. And now there you go. See, see, it's a hymn book. And when I was growing up, it contained songs. Yeah. And when we uh, would go to church, it was in the the pews, and you'd actually pick one up and sing from it. Okay. So, just wanted you to have that little piece of education there. I'm so glad we don't do that anymore. Um, and some of you are going to tell me, I wish we still did that, actually. How many of you are uh, Monopoly fans? Anybody? Yeah, all right, quite a few of you. Well, I, uh, I can remember growing up, uh, I think I was around middle school, uh, having some friends on, on a rainy summer afternoon. I remember going to their house to play Monopoly. Now, this was not friendly competition. This was cutthroat Accumulate as much as you can, take any risk you must, but win at all costs. These games did not last just an hour or two. These games could go on all day long. As we maneuvered our way around that board, as we tried to make deals with each other, all trying to win at the game of Monopoly. Sometimes I think life seems like it is one long Monopoly game. Round and round the board we go, passing payday, paying our bills, accumulating more and more stuff, hoping that we don't land on an unwanted or costly square, hoping we don't get an unwanted surprise. Round and round the board we go. But as we go around, there's also this recognition, I think, in all of us that we are the only ones that are given the life that we've been given. You are the only version of your life. You'll never bump into yourself on the sidewalk. You are the only one that gets to live your life. And I think we're afraid that as we go round and round, that suddenly we'll feel like life has passed us by and we'll wonder, where did it go so quickly? But round and round we go. But here's the thing. Even as we go round and round, I think all of us realize in deep inside of us there is this desire with our lives to make a difference. We want to live a life that matters. We want to do something that's good. We want to know that if we weren't here, somebody in the world would miss us. In fact, I think all of us have this picture of the me I want to be. Chris Hogan is the coach of the Faith Christian football team in Grapevine, Texas. Chris has a coach there, I think, for a while. A couple of years ago, his team was 7-2. and two. Now, this is not your typical Christian school, probably. They have an outstanding football program. They are winners every year. They have all the latest equipment. Lots of people show up to their games. 70 guys on the team. This, this is big-time football in Texas. His team was 7-2 and two, two years ago. They were scheduled to play Grapevine State College, or State Community School. Grapevine... State school, when they showed up, probably would have no fans on their side. Nobody cheering for them. They were O and A. The only people that would be on their sidelines were the armed security guards because the kids at this school were in a correctional facility. Nobody would show up to cheer for them. So Chris had an idea. 
Chris sent out an email to the parents and supporters of his team. And he said, I'm looking for some of you who would volunteer this Friday night instead of cheering for our team to make your way over to the other side of the field and to cheer for Grapevine Community School. 200 of them volunteered. They actually came early and made one of those banners that the team runs through. When it was time for Grapevine to take the field, they lined up in a, in a little tunnel and held that banner, and those guys burst through that. They had taken time during the week before the game to actually learn the names of many of the players and began to cheer them on by name. Now, Faith went on to easily win the football game. But when the game was over, they invited everyone together at the center of the field to pray, and one of the kids from Grapevine asked if he could pray. Chris said, I wasn't really sure how this was going to go, but he said, go ahead. And this kid prayed, God, thank you. I don't know how this happened, but God, thank you. I would have never known there were this many people that cared about us. As Grapevine got ready to leave that night, those parents again lined up and hugged those kids as they got on the bus, gave them a to-go bag of food. And those kids went away filled with hope. And as I hear that story, I think that's, that's the me I want to be. There's Caleb. He's nine years old. He loves basketball and avoids girls at all costs and has a heart for the children in Ecuador. See, Caleb in Sunday school one day heard the story of how these kids in Central America often died of disease because they didn't have safe drinking water. And so he thought of $20 he had been saving for a video game and he decided he would give it. He got his dad to match his $20 and he went around to all the children workers in his church and continued to raise money until he had raised enough money to dig two wells to make sure some kids in Ecuador had clean and safe drinking water. And again, when I hear those stories, I think that's the me I want to be. And it is the me we can be. It is the me that we can be. Because the Bible says this about us. It says that we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. We are God's masterpiece. That word masterpiece is the idea of a work of art. God says that you, every one of us, are a work of art. But, you know, I think when we hear that we are a work of art, we struggle with that concept a little bit because we all have different ideas about art, don't we? If we held up a piece of art here this morning, some of us might say, well, that's, that's beautiful. And others would say, that's a piece of junk. And vice versa. For instance, here's one. This is a Whalen picture. Now, I think that's beautiful art, but some of you may think, uh, who would want that in their house? Hey, here's another example. In some people's eyes, that is a, I guess that's a piece of art. I'm not really sure about that one. That's junk to me. Okay, here's another one. This is actually a Picasso painting, which I know most people would say that's worth like millions of dollars kind of thing. I think it's ugly. Here's one more. Somebody thinks that's a piece of art. Wouldn't want it in my house necessarily, but it is interesting. But here's the thing. When it comes to how God looks at each of us, He does not see junk. He doesn't. God looks at every one of us and He sees an absolutely beautiful work of art. He ought to know. He knows that we were created to be a work of art because He was the one that created us. And He created us to do good things. He created us to be the me 
that He wants us to be. That was Jesus' view of us too. Jesus viewed us as a work of our created to do good things. In fact, just after Jesus' resurrection, there were a bunch of people who gathered in an upper room one day. And if you and I had walked into this room and looked around at this motley crew, we would have thought this is a bunch of misfits, a bunch of rednecks, no offense to anybody, um, a bunch of uh, you know uneducated people that society would have nothing to do with. And we would have looked around almost every one of them and thought, what value are you really to anything? Honestly. But here's what Jesus looked at that same crowd of people and said in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus looked at them and said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus looks at this same group of people and He says, you, you bunch of hillbillies, you will be my witnesses. You uneducated, simple people, you will be my witnesses. You temperamental netcasters and tax collectors, you will be my witnesses. Jesus says, you were created to do something. You were created to do something valuable. And I'm entrusting you with that. And if Jesus were here today, He would look at every one of us and He would say exactly the same thing. You, you were created to do something good. You were created to be the me that you can be. Now, somehow though, somehow, somewhere along the way, when I hear Jesus say that, and I I believe it, but there is something that says to me, well, what keeps me from doing the good He wants me to do? Why isn't it that more often I don't do the good that Jesus wants me to do? I want you to look at a story in the book of Haggai with me. And Haggai is a really little book in the Old Testament part of your Bible. In fact, if you go to the book of Matthew where we've been for the last several weeks and go backwards just a couple of books, um, Malachi and Zechariah, you're going to come to this little book, Haggai. It's only a couple pages long. But let me give you a background on what's happening here. Jesus says right in the, the first part, or that God talks about here in the very first part, the book of Haggai happens after about 70 years after the uh, Babylonians had come in and taken the Jewish people captive. They had destroyed the city of Jerusalem. They had burned the temple to the ground. And for 70 years, the Jewish people had been held as captives in Babylonia. But just a couple of years before what we read here in Haggai, King Cyrus of Persia had risen to power. He was a good guy. He decided he would let about 50,000 of these Jewish people go back to Jerusalem and begin to rebuild their city. He gave them the resources to go back and to begin to rebuild the temple, their place of worship. And so with his resources, they had returned to the city and they had for two years worked to rebuild the foundation of the city of the temple in Jerusalem. But somehow after these two years, they get, they get distracted and work on the temple literally comes to a stop. And so God then sends Haggai, this prophet, to go and and speak to them about what's happening. And that's where we look this morning. Haggai chapter 1, verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is God speaking through Haggai. 
He says, these people say, in other words, he says to the people of Jerusalem, here's what you keep saying. The time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. So again, he speaks. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? He says, you're, you're building yourself some really nice houses. I mean, they, they, they had corner lots, crown molding, granite counter, countertops. He says, you're, you're investing a lot in building your own house. Verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You, you drink, but never have your fill. You, you put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. God says, you're investing a lot of energy in building these houses while nothing's happening to my house. And you keep pursuing clothes and food and money in your pocket and you have this endless appetite for more and more and more. But you're neglecting what I've asked you to do. God had given them a task. God had said to them, I want you to to go build the temple. And He had given them the resources to do it as He usually does for us. And I think this is some of the good that these people had been created to do. But somewhere along the way, they got distracted. They got off track. You know what they got distracted by? They got distracted by life. They found themselves going round and round the board collecting paychecks, spending money on their houses. And everything in their life became about building their own houses and their own businesses. And they neglected taking care of the temple. They neglected the good that God had created them to do. And I think maybe we can identify with that. I think for these people that he writes about in Haggai, they were going round and round the board. But you know what they were discovering based on what he says here? They found that it wasn't what they were doing. This round and round the board wasn't very satisfying, wasn't very fulfilling. It was leaving them feeling pretty empty. Because life had become all about going round and round and not doing the good that God had created them to do. And I think maybe, maybe, we can identify with that. Because at times as we go round and round the board, don't you wonder, is this all that life is about? Is this all it's about? Is collecting paychecks and paying bills and going round and round the board? There's got to be something bigger. There's got to be something better. This is not the me that God created me to be. And I think we'd be right. We live in a very challenging time. You know, across the face of the earth today, there are 1.75 billion people who live in poverty. Across the face of the earth today, there are 1 billion people that will go hungry. Millions across our world today will be trafficked in slavery. Every five minutes, every five minutes, 90 children will die of a preventable disease. One billion people around our earth today do not have safe drinking water. Over 300 million people across our nation have, no, have never had a pair of shoes. Across our world, I should say. 
And millions and millions more of them have never had an adequate pair of shoes. I read three questions this week that have haunted me all week. Here are the questions. The first question was, if you had lived in Germany at the time of Hitler, would you have stood up against him? The second question was, if you had lived during the civil rights movement in the South, would you have stood up against racism? And in both of those questions, I'd like to think that I could answer and say, yes, I would have, but I don't know. Here's the third question, though, that is very haunting. If our grandchildren, years from now, were to realize that we lived in a time when there were 1.75 billion people in poverty, 1 billion people going hungry, how will they judge our response? And you know what? It doesn't happen just across the seas. Poverty and pain are growing right here in our city. Many of our neighbors are struggling and hurting. Thousands across our city are living their lives very far away from God. And I think, I think, this is some of the good that God has created us to do. I think that this is part of the me that God wants each of us to be. To have a heart for what's happening to hurting people. But what keeps us from doing the good that He wants us to do? What gets us off track? Because like these people, we, we know what we're called to do. The Bible is clear about God's heart for people who are hurting like this. We have the resources most of the time to do something. What is it that keeps us from responding? Let me just help you to see clearly that this is Jesus' heart. Jesus talks in the New Testament one time about a guy who's going to throw a banquet. And He says this guy's first inclination is to invite people who are like him, people who, who are, have things. People who don't really need His resources but actually could bless Him with their resources maybe. That, that's His first inclination. Jesus says, that, that's not who I want you to invite to this banquet. And I think part of what Jesus is saying here in terms of the whole idea of this banquet is that's not the only people I want you to share your resources with. In fact, listen to the kinds of people Jesus says in John chapter 14 that ought to be invited to the banquet. He says, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Jesus says those are some of the kinds of people that you ought to be sharing the abundance of what you've been given. Those are the kinds of people you ought to share your resources. Those are the kinds of people I have called you to do good to. And I think that is a part of the me that God wants us to be. But here's what I think keeps us off track. Three lessons that I see very quickly in this story. One thing that keeps us off track is that we view, we let our appetites rule our lives. We let our appetites rule our lives. That's what was happening to the people in the book of Haggai. Listen again to verse 5. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thoughts to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I think Haggai is saying, God is saying through Haggai, 
You've got these endless appetites. And you just keep going more and more and more to try to fill your appetite. And all you're doing is going round and round the board. Let me tell you two things about our appetites. Our appetites will never be fully and finally satisfied. It's true, isn't it? Our appetites will never be fully and finally satisfied. I mean, we think, if I just have that one more thing, that'll do it, right? But then there's something else. I remember when I, uh, maybe I've told you some of this before, I was thinking this week when I got out of college and uh, took my first job in ministry, I made $16,000 25 years ago. Even 25 years ago, that wasn't much money. And I struggled to make ends meet. My parents helped me some and I accumulated some debt and my wife took care of that when we got married. That was great. (laughs) And I, you know, I moved on to the next ministry position a few years later and they paid me a little bit more. And still we struggled to make ends meet. And, and then a few years later, I moved back to Florida and was hired at the same church here in Fort Myers and started out at a salary. And, and after I had been there for just a couple of years, I think, they gave me a really big raise. And honestly, when they gave me that raise, I thought, wow, I've arrived. As a guy going into ministry, I thought, this is more money than I ever thought I would make. I'm satisfied. And you know how long that lasted? Yeah, about the first paycheck. And suddenly I thought, well, what could our family do if I made just a little bit more? And the next raise, what if I made just a little bit more? And it's true, maybe it's not a salary for you, but there are other things, aren't they? Our appetites seem to never be fully and finally satisfied. We just want a little bit more. Here's another truth about our appetites. Our appetites always whisper now, never later. Our appetites whisper now and never later. I mean, for most things, right? We don't want it next week. We want it today. We don't want it next year. We want it this week. Our appetites say we've got to have it now. And you know what that causes to happen in our lives? Round and round the board we go. Because we think we have to have it now. Here's a second truth I see in this story. We live with very little margin in our lives. We live with very little margin in our lives. When I read this story, the people were so busy taking care of their own houses and pursuing all of these appetites, there wasn't time in their schedule to do the good that I think God had created them to do. There wasn't time to rebuild the temple. And I don't get any sense from reading this that they didn't have a desire to rebuild the temple. I just think they got to the point in life there simply wasn't time. And you know what's true for us, isn't it? Round and round the board we go and our lives are so busy. The schedules of our children are so jam-packed with activities that if we wanted to do good, there simply often isn't enough time. We're just too busy to do the good that God has created us to do. It's not that we don't want to. It's not that we don't see many times. We're just too busy. You know what? The question is not, will my schedule be full? The question is, what will fill my schedule? And for some of us, if we're ever going to really become the me I want to be, 
it will require discarding some things from our schedule so that there's actually time to do the good that God created us to do. One more lesson I see here. We live very self-centered lives. We do. When I listen to the story of the people in Haggai, honestly, you know, it seems like it was really all about them, right? It was all about their appetites, their needs, their houses, their lives. And if we're honest this morning, that's what it so easily becomes for us. We, what drives us in life often has far more to do with me than it does with others. Now listen, I understand. I know as well as anybody. You know what? We've got we've to earn money to put food on our tables and to clothe our children. We, we have to do that. But honestly, so often beyond those things, our lives are driven by what do I want? What do I need? And before we realize it, before we really even realize what's happened, we recognize that we're not doing the good that God created us to do. We're not becoming the me that I really want to be. Do you think about this. How, how many uh, pairs of shoes do you have in your closet? I know some of you can't even count. I counted my closet last night. I have 11 pairs of shoes. And yet I had to think about how many people across our world have no shoes. I wonder if we thought honestly about our schedule, how much time do we spend watching TV? And how much time have we invested in caring for some neighbors who are struggling and hurting? How much money did you spend in the last few weeks on junk food? And how much food have you gathered to take to a local food pantry? How much money did you spend in the last month on entertainment? Not that it's bad. How much have you invested in helping people who around our globe don't have safe and clean drinking water? Now, you know what? I don't say any of that to make us feel guilty. I really don't. That is not my motive at all. Here's why I say it. Because I honestly believe that all of us want to live our lives in a way that they actually make a difference. We want to live our lives so that they matter for something. That we do the good we were created to do. And I am convinced that what God is concerned about is people who are poor, people who are struggling, people who are in need. And because I know that I am created in the image of God and that you are created in the image of God, the only way that we are actually going to become the me that we want to be, the only way that our lives are going to seem like they are fulfilling and take away that empty feeling that we often have, the only way that's going to happen, because we were made in the image of God, is to become concerned about the things that He cares about and to do the good that He created us to do. You know, often our opportunities to respond to people who are in need happen without warning. Right now. Right in this moment. It's true so often, isn't it? When we see things throughout life, without warning often, those opportunities to do good, they just happen without warning right then. And we have to decide whether or not we're going to respond. And you know what? God usually gives us the resources in those moments. He usually does. It's just a matter of deciding, am I going to respond to what's been, right, been put right in front of me? So today, as a way for us to really drive this point home, I wanted to give you an opportunity, right now, right here, without warning, for you to respond. 
few months ago, I became uh, familiar with an agency called Souls for Souls, an agency that collects shoes, new shoes oftentimes from manufacturing companies, but also shoes from people that they can redistribute. And they take these shoes to places around our globe and they give them to people who have never had a pair of shoes or have never had an adequate pair of shoes. And for at least that time that those shoes last, it changes the direction of their life. In fact, I want you to watch this two-minute video that just introduces you to their story. This is his mother's shoes, his mother's sandals. And so they, this is all they've been having to wear. And so they came in here today, and they got some nice tennis shoes on their feet, so they're real happy about that. They don't have to uh, be embarrassed wearing their sister and their mom's shoes anymore. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So here's what I'm asking you to do this morning. You see an opportunity to do good for somebody right here, right now, without warning. I'm asking you to give your shoes and to go home barefooted. I am. To respond right now, in a moment. Now listen, some of you have medical conditions and you have lots of money uh, invested in very special shoes. I'm not asking you to give those today. Uh, a way that you, if you'd like uh, to respond right now without warning, is if you'd like to, to go out to the uh, connection point and give some money that would help us with shipping the shoes that are given, that would be great. Any extra money we receive will all go to uh, Souls for Souls. But I'm asking you to give your shoes this morning. Now you're thinking, Jeff, you knew this ahead of time. I bet you came prepared, didn't you? No, I didn't wear my mowing shoes. I wore shoes that I like a lot. And um, I don't have another pair of shoes that I'm going to change into afterwards. 
I'm going to go home barefooted just like you are. Now, some of you serve in ministry around here during our second worship experience or you're part of our teardown teams. And for safety reasons, if you want to hang on to your shoes until you're done serving around here today, that's fine. You can come and add to the pile later. But for the rest of us, right now, without warning, because there's a need and because it's part of being the me that I want to be, I'm asking you to come and give your shoes.